0: On a bright, unseasonably warm November day in Dallas, Texas, America's 35th president was assassinated. It was the day America lost its innocence. The day Camelot ended. And for 57 years, no question has vexed Americans more. Who killed JFK? Over 2,000 books have been written trying to answer that question, and countless documentaries, hundreds if not thousands of podcasts, and dozens of movies. And yet, the question lingers, who killed JFK? Was it the CIA and a secret cabal of high-level United States military officers, upset that Kennedy didn't invade Cuba and put an end to Fidel Castro? Or was it Castro? aided by the KGB, taking revenge for Robert Kennedy's attempt to enlist the Mafia to assassinate the Cuban dictator? Or was it the Mafia, upset that the Kennedy administration was going after Mafia bosses after they helped steal the 1960 election for him? Or was it his own Vice President, Lyndon Johnson, whose thirst for power in connection with right-wing Texas billionaires orchestrated a hit. Or maybe, just maybe, was it a 22-year-old ex-Marine, a loner and a loser with delusions of grandeur who chose to make a name for himself in a most shocking and violent way. Mix yourself an old-fashioned, the quintessential 60's cocktail and listen to the tale of the President and the self-proclaimed Patsy, John Kennedy and Lee Oswald. The 1960 election was close. It wasn't decided until the early morning hours of the following day. And as the 1964 election approached, Jack Kennedy was worried. He couldn't afford to lose any of the states he carried in 1960, and Texas was causing him to lose sleep. The Democratic Party in that state was split between a liberal faction, led by Senator Ralph Yarbrough, and the conservative side, led by Governor John Conley, a protege of Vice President Lyndon Johnson. Kennedy was worried that if the Texas Civil War erupted into the open— The liberals might stay home and not vote, or the conservatives might bolt to his likely Republican opponent, Barry Goldwater. It was time for the president to knock some heads together and make sure the Democratic Party in Texas played nice. So in November, JFK scheduled a trip to the Lone Star State. It was time to show the flag and make sure Johnson, Conley, and Yarbrough at least pretended to be united behind the president. After stops in Houston and San Antonio, Kennedy flew to Fort Worth and spent the night of November 21st in the Hotel Texas. He ate breakfast with local Democrats. Then Jackie appeared and charmed the local dignitaries. His motorcade took him to an Air Force base and he boarded Air Force One for a 25-mile flight to Dallas. It would have been quicker to drive, but everyone likes to see Air Force One land. He and Governor Conley got in the Lincoln convertible for a motorcade from Love Field to the Trademark through the heart of downtown Dallas. Lee Oswald got up that morning and got ready for work. He was employed at the Texas School Book Depository in Dallas. He was a laborer who moved boxes and prepared to ship textbooks to schools all around the state. It hadn't been a good year for Lee and his family. He was separated from his wife Marina and from his two girls. Lee and Marina met in Russia. Lee had moved there, or as he called it, defected, in 1959. He thought he would be welcomed in the Soviet Union as a hero, but instead he was given an apartment and a menial job in a television factory. He tried to contact communist officials and convince them of his worth to the revolution, but no one was really interested. They just viewed him as a nagger and a braggart and a bully. By 1961, Lee was disenchanted with the Soviet Union. He went to the American Embassy and applied for permission to return to the United States. And in 1962, he and Marina did come back home. By then, he believed that despite their different systems, that there really was no difference between the U.S. and the Soviet Union. He hated both countries. He soon latched onto Cuba as the place where true Marxism was flourishing, and he began to hold it up as an example for the world. When he returned to Texas, he bounced from job to job. He and Marina by this time had two little girls, and Lee was often a violent husband. They moved from apartment to apartment, occasionally living with his mother or other friends. They frequently separated and then reconciled. By 1963, Lee and his family were in Fort Worth. His violent behavior escalated. He believed the U.S. military was planning an invasion of Cuba, and he decided to act. Retired General Edwin Walker lived in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. He was a vocal anti-communist and a right-wing provocateur. In 1961, President Kennedy removed him from his command because he was distributing right-wing political literature to his troops. He continued to speak out, and Oswald was convinced that he was trying to provoke military action against Cuba. So on the night of April sixth, Lee went to General Walker's home with a rifle. He could see the general through the window. He fired. The bullet glanced off the wooden window frame. That deflected it just enough so that it missed the general. Shortly after that, Oswald left town. He went to New Orleans and began heading out leaflets on the street for the Fair Play for Cuba Committee. The FBI took notice and began investigating him. Lee had intended to go to Cuba and offer himself to Castro to further the revolution. But the Cubans didn't want him. By that fall he was back in Texas. A friend helped him get a job at the book depository. In November Lee read that the president would be coming to Dallas. A local newspaper published a map of the president's motorcade. It would pass directly in front of the school book depository. That morning, as President Kennedy was getting dressed to go to the ballroom to address the Fort Worth Democrats, Lee Oswald left for work. A friend picked him up at his house. Before he left, he looked in on his girls and left his house keys and $170 in cash on the dresser next to his sleeping wife. He also did something he had never done before. He took off his wedding ring and laid it next to the money. As he left the house, he was carrying a long package wrapped in brown paper. What you got there, Lee? His friend asked. Curtain rods. Air Force One landed at Love Field in Dallas at 1130. The early morning rain had given away to a blazing Texas sun. Kennedy hated to ride in the presidential Lincoln with the plexiglass bubble top. His Secret Service detail knew this, and so when the President, the First Lady, and Governor and Mrs. Conley approached the waiting car, the bubble top had been disassembled and placed in the trunk. The motorcade slowly pulled out of Love Field and headed toward downtown Dallas. Most of the workers in the schoolbook depository left the building to go outside and get a good look at the president and Jackie. Some stayed inside and looked from the windows. Lee went to the sixth floor and began moving boxes around a corner window. He opened the window and piled some boxes right in front of it. Then he took his package of curtain rods and unwrapped it. The curtain rods turned out to be an Italian single-action bolt rifle. He braced the rifle on top of the boxes and adjusted the scope and waited. The motorcade was downtown. The crowds were loud and enthusiastic. As the car slowed to make an almost U-turn onto Elm Street, Mrs. Conley turned and said, Mr. President, you sure can't say Dallas doesn't love you no you can't he replied as the car completed the turn Jackie looked ahead and saw a triple underpass that shade will be nice she thought she was hot in her pink woolen suit and pillbox hat the crowds were thinning out and the car slowly began to pick up speed they were almost to the Stemmons freeway just minutes away from the trademark where JFK was scheduled to speak then A loud crack. A motorcycle backfiring, some thought. Fireworks, thought others. But this was Texas, and many of the hunters and the ranchers, people like Lyndon Johnson, John Conley, and Ralph Yarbrough, instantly knew what it was a rifle shot. Another crack. In the car, the president's hands reflexively raised to his throat. His wife turned to look at him. Governor Conley arched his back. His breath puffed out, and he felt himself start to slump to his side. Another crack! My God, they're going to kill us all, Conley screamed. The president was behind him, sitting upright, held in place by the back brace he always wore. More than one person described the next sound as a grapefruit being thrown against a wall. The right side of the president's head exploded. Jackie, in shock, tried to crawl on the back of the Lincoln to retrieve a piece of his skull. A Secret Service agent jumped on back of the accelerating car and pushed her down into the seat. He took one look at the president and sat up, signaling the agents in the car behind. Thumbs down his eyes welling in tears. Lee Oswald put down his rifle and walked down six flights of stairs and out of the building. He got on a city bus and rode to the Oak Cliff section of Dallas. A mythology of the day has grown that there were no witnesses to the actual shooting. In fact, at least five people saw Lee Oswald in the window with a the rifle. They all described him, young, early 20s, dark hair, a dark-colored coat or sweater over a white t-shirt. His manager took roll and found that Oswald was the one employee who was missing, and a bulletin went out to Dallas police. As Oswald was strolling through Oak Cliff, J.D. Tippett, a Dallas police officer, spotted him and approached him. Lee pulled down his reviver and shot him multiple times. Later that afternoon, Oswald was spotted going into the Texas Theater. The theater was surrounded. He pulled out his gun again, but it didn't fire, and he was arrested. Lee immediately claimed, I'm a patsy. I didn't kill anybody. But honestly, the evidence was pretty damning. His prints were on the rifle. There were several descriptions of him. He joined the Marines when he was 17 and was an adequate marksman. Not an expert, but honestly, the shots weren't that difficult. Unfortunately, Lee Oswald never stood trial. Two days later, he was shot by Jack Ruby on national television. Ruby was a small-time hood who owned a couple of strip joints in Dallas. Lee Oswald was taken to Parkland Hospital. They were going to wheel him into trauma room one, but a doctor suddenly realized that was where President Kennedy died. So they moved him next door to another trauma room. Oswald died on the operating table. Did Oswald act alone? Many people don't think so. In the book, Case Closed, author Gerald Posner investigated the killing. He started to write the book to prove that there was a conspiracy. But as he talked to survivors of that day, as he sifted through the evidence, he became convinced that Lee Oswald did kill President Kennedy, that he did act alone, and he makes a compelling case. But really, 57 years later, we may never know the truth of who killed JFK.
1: Thank you, Dad. That is one of the saddest events ever, and I get teary-eyed thinking about it.
0: So do I. I lived through it. I was in the second grade when it happened, and it still gets to me.
1: (sighs) Well... One of the reasons I love the Kennedys so much is, of course, their fashion sense. <laughs> That's not why I get emotional, but uh, I do want to spend a little time in Trends of the Crime, sponsored by Style a la Mode, talking about JFK's iconic style and Jackie's iconic style. I don't feel like I need to talk about Lee Harvey Oswald's style because it's pretty boring, so we're just going to spend more time on the Kennedys.
0: That works for me.
1: Okay. And just JFK and Jackie because we're doing more Kennedys later. So, All right. JFK was the first president of the U.S. and possibly the only, except maybe Barack, who, you know, to me is sexy, even whatever he wears. So <laughs> uh, to become known for his fashion sense.
0: Actually, there is one other. Ooh, who? It may surprise you. Chester Arthur.
1: Oh Kennedy
0: well, he would have been from uh, 1881 to 1885. He was uh, not one of our most famous presidents. He was he became president after James Garfield was assassinated, but uh, he was quite the clothes horse from what I hear.
1: Wow, I didn't know that. I'll have to look look him up. Well, John F. Kennedy embraced the swinging 60s with skinny ties, natty knitwear, and sunglasses. And as we all know by now, I love the 60s, so everything about it. um, Everything about the fashion, I mean. Uh, Kennedy wore the classic two-piece suit known by politicians, but he had them tailored to a slim fit, which made them look a little more stylish than your average two-piece suit. Uh, The suits had narrow lapels, subtle patterns, and creased trousers. And pocket squares were always included in JFK's suits. Do you recall seeing pocket squares?
0: I do. I do. Now, one other thing about JFK, uh, he is uh, credited with with almost single-handedly destroying the men's hat industry in the 60s Mm. because he refused to wear hats. He refused to be photographed in hats.
1: Can't ruin that hair.
0: No. And in fact, the morning he was killed in Fort Worth... um, the mayor of Fort Worth and the police chief of Fort Worth presented him with a cowboy hat, a Stetson. And uh, he picked it up and people in the audience were cheering. And I I recall hearing people yelling, put it on, put it on. And he just smiled and said, "Uh, I'll uh, put it on when I get back to the Oval Office and uh, you all can uh, come up and see how it looks. (laughs) That's funny.
1: (laughs) I didn't know that. That's funny. (laughs) Yep, can't. when you have hair that good, you can't risk it, you know. I understand. Actually, I don't. Whatever. Um, okay, so for casual wear, JFK wore chunky knitwear, polo shirts, and chinos. Do you know what chinos are?
0: It's kind of like what we would call khakis today. Yes. That's what I thought. But
1: women's chinos are cropped. Hmm. I don't think men's are. Uh, while his polo shirts still gave him a smart casual look, he did experiment with color on these, uh, especially blues and yellows and his chinos were always stone or white to distance from his gray and navy suit trousers so he definitely wanted to separate fun and work
2: mm-hmm.
1: so mm-hmm. and when it came to formal wear jfk stuck to a classic tuxedo and sometimes he had fun uh with velvet dinner jackets or satin lapels velvet dinner jackets are coming back i've seen them a lot mm-hmm. lately uh, he was also a lifelong sailor, so his casual wear reflected nautical influences, and he was known to rock a good pair of sunglasses. Mm-hmm. JFK can be seen in photos wearing many different types of sunglasses, from wayfarer frames to round tortoise shell designs.
0: It's one of my favorite pictures of him on a boat with his sunglasses on and a petite uh, Romeo and Uliato cigar in his mouth.
2: hmm A Cuban. Yep.
0: Um. He, of course, instituted the, uh, the, the ban on, on importing Cuban goods. But the story is that he sent his press secretary, Pierre Salinger, to every, every um, cigar shop in the Washington, D.C. area to buy every single Cuban cigar the night before he signed the ban. Oh, my gosh. And so whenever you see JFK with a cigar in his mouth, and it's quite frequently, it's probably a Cuban uh, that he purchased right before he made them illegal for the rest of us.
1: Rude. We still love him, though. Yes. It's okay. <laughs> you would do the same thing, Dad. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Now to Jackie O. During her first year as First Lady, Jackie O reportedly spent $45,446 uh. in 1960 uh, more on her wardrobe than the $100,000 annual salary her husband earned as president. Why don't you tell us what those amounts are, Dad, in today's money? I'm sorry.
0: Well, just using my uh, my mental calculator here, <laughs> not looking at the screen, right. uh, $45,000 would be equivalent to approximately $395,000 today. Mm-hmm and $100,000 in, in 1961 would be worth $870,000 today.
1: That's a lot of dough. It is. Man, if I had that much money to spend on clothes, dream come true. One of the many fashion trends Jackie O started was the popularization of pillbox hats. She had many different colors, and her hats were designed for her by Halston. Did you know that? I did not. Were all the same designer. And... As I was writing this, I realized that Elle Woods, on the cover of Legally Blonde 2, was wearing a pink wool, wool two-piece suit and a pink pillbox hat, and I thought, that must have been inspired by Jackie O's infamous uh, Assassination Day hmm. look, which I thought was odd. Isn't that odd? hmm But I mean, they both look cute in it, so I guess, I guess, but... Anyway, I'm guessing they got the outfit idea from from Jackie. Uh, Jackie also was known for sunglasses, like her husband. And she's been quoted saying that she liked the opportunity the sunglasses gave her to watch people and that she kept multiple pairs in a basket by the front door. Hmm. Amazing. I need to wear darker sunglasses so I can watch people. Mine are too light. <laughs> you can see my eyeballs in them. Uh, she was also a genius accessorizer. She often made the simplest ensemble look chic with a patterned headscarf paired with her oversized sunglasses. And her iconic bouffant hairstyle was created by Kenneth Battelle, the famed hairdresser to the stars, who also styled Marilyn Monroe.
0: And we'll be talking about Marilyn next, I believe, will be we not?
1: Yes, but we, prob- we may not mention Kenneth Battelle again, but yes, now you know. Uh, Jackie's formal wear was daring for the 1960s with shoulder bearing gowns and elbow length gloves. So she was showing her shoulders, which was a little scandalous back then. And she often accentuated her small waist with strategically placed bows. Very 60s, very cute. And she was one of the few people who could pull off a cape. Capes became part of her signature style as First Lady. And lastly, Jackie made the monochromatic look chic and may have been the originator of the stylish white-on-white look that's in fashion today. Hmm. Another nautical type of look that is popular now. So mm-hmm. anything to add about the Kennedy's fashion?
0: Well, uh, not so much their their clothes, but one thing Jackie did was, uh, was oversaw the remodeling of the yes. White House. And in fact... Um, Made it a made it a uh, her priority to try to locate some of the original furniture that that was in the White House and bring it back. So she restored the White House to its former grandeur and even hosted a TV special. I was going to say uh,
1: there was a big TV giving a special. tour of the the White
0: House. So she was a she was a classy lady and brought back a lot of class um, to the country.
1: Does that remind you of anyone, Dad? <clears throat>
0: yeah, but your mother will get jealous if I say who. <laughs>
1: He means me. We're both classy. I got it from her. All right. I say the Kennedys were pretty iconic in their looks. As do I. All right, Dad. Now we are going to discuss some conspiracy theories Mm -hmm. about who really killed JFK. But first, why did you choose an old-fashioned?
0: I chose an Old Fashioned because I think it is the quintessential 1960's drink. I was introduced to an Old Fashioned by by way of a television show, Mad Men, which you and I both love.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. Uh, Don Draper, that was his drink, and Don Draper is one of my heroes. And uh, I started drinking Old Fashioned three or four years ago, so uh, I thought what better way to kick off uh, our 60's emphasis than with an Old Fashioned.
1: Describe the taste.
0: Uh, my old fashions are uh, just a bit of orange from the bitters, and I like to use a good rye whiskey, so I've got, I've got the uh, sweetness of the orange uh, bitters uh, paired with the spiciness of the rye whiskey. Now, some people like to take an orange slice or a cherry and muddle it. Uh, that's just too sweet and fruity for me. I, I like to go back to the original old-fashioned recipe, which is just a, a little bit of sugar, some uh, bitters and a good quality rye or bourbon
1: and if you are a member of our vip facebook group which if you're not you should join it's called cocktails of crime and fashion vip Uh, we do post videos of dad making each cocktail for the week and he gives you a little history Uh, and then on all of our social media we post the recipe so be sure to join if you're not already in there
0: now is the vip group free
1: it is free.
0: No one has to pay.
1: No one has to pay a right. dime.
0: Well, then there's no reason not to join. It I is know. there.
1: And the best part is you actually get to see our lovely faces in mm. the group. And if you haven't seen our faces, you are missing out. Indeed. <laughs> yeah, you just have to request because it is a private group. So search for it and then click request to join. And I accept everybody <laughs> one come all. All right. So let's talk about this motorcade route. Um, it has been criticized for its many turns because the turns caused the driver to have to slow down, which some think was done on purpose so that he mm-hmm. could be shot. Shots.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I've heard that. And in fact, uh, when when he turned onto Elm Street right in front of the book depository, it was almost a U-turn. I, If any of our listeners have been to Dallas to the scene of the assassination, it, it is. It's almost a U-turn. I think he was going about two or three miles an hour. To make that turn, but on the other hand, this was actually a campaign event, and Kennedy wanted to be seen by as many people as possible. It was a it was a Friday. It was a work day. Uh, schools were dismissed in Dallas. Uh, it was designed to be around the noon hour, so office workers come could come out. So he wanted to be seen by as many people as he possibly could. So I I discount the fact that that. Uh, this was this was designed to uh, somehow foster the assassination. And again, remember, this was 1960, mm-hmm. 63. I mean, today presidents would never wa- ride in an open car; they'd never go at three miles an hour down a public street. But it was a different time, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm sure I'm sure the president was very happy with uh, with the route. Mm-hmm. Um, You know, people people were afraid that Dallas was going to turn their backs on him, but uh, just an overwhelming crowd. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: So, I discount that.
1: Yeah. Well, if you're anything like me and you want this to be a conspiracy, (laughs) (laughs) some other arguments about the route were it was chosen by Secret Service agents, and there were over 20,000 windows overlooking the route. And because they didn't have enough men to inspect each window... They didn't. They didn't inspect any windows.
0: That's true. That's true.
1: Not a good look, guys.
0: Well, not. But again, look back at history. We've we've had. There were three presidents shot. None of them were. Sh- none of them were hit by a sniper. It was someone who basically walked right up to the president yeah. and shot him. Same with Lincoln and Garfield and McKinley.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: so this this was new, mm-hmm. uh, and I, I don't think people really expected a sniper to take a shot at a presidential motorcade.
1: Right, especially in front of a bunch of people. Uh-huh. All right, well, the Warren Commission, tell us about the Warren Commission and what it was.
0: President Johnson decided that he wanted this case solved quickly, particularly since Oswald had been assassinated And so he picked uh, a number of prominent people from both parties, and he asked the Chief Justice of the United States, Earl Warren, to chair the commission and to uh, look at all the evidence and find out whether Lee Harvey Oswald acted alone, if if there was a conspiracy, who was involved in it. And, um, you know, a lot of people, and I think there's some evidence to this, that, that Johnson was very, very anxious to have the Warren Commission rule that, in fact, Lee Harvey Oswald did act alone and that there was no conspiracy. He wanted he wanted the thing put behind him. Mm-hmm. And so the Warren Commission, they they interviewed hundreds of people. Uh, they looked at the evidence, and as you said, they did come to the official conclusion uh, that John Kennedy was killed by Lee Harvey Oswald and that Oswald had no co-conspirators.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And uh, from the beginning, people had not accepted that.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, it's too easy. It not is. The solution.
0: It is. It is. And, but, but sometimes the most simple solution is the correct one.
1: Oftentimes.
0: And I'm not, I'm not going to defend the Warren Commission. They, they missed a lot of things.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: They, they People that should have interviewed weren't interviewed. Evidence that should have been looked at wasn't looked at. But spoiler alert. I think, regardless of all that, I think they got it right.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But, if they didn't... uh... If they
0: didn't, that means someone else was involved. But here's the thing. This is the internet age. Mm -hmm. It's 63 years later. Doesn't it stand to reason that somebody would have eventually had a a deathbed confession and, and gone on TV? and uh, blew the whistle on the whole thing. Right. No one has.
1: Well, and after hearing the story that you shared, I'm coming over to your side a bit, but I also think talking about conspiracy theories is fun. But
0: It is. But,
1: yeah, I mean, the more I think about it, it does seem like he was just a guy with some issues and with a, a loner and, you know, he... Not that that means anything, but he was just a guy who um, had some thoughts about the country and everything, and likely just
0: well, did it by himself. All, all four of our presidential assassins have have had some pretty twisted political motives mm-hmm. when they shot the president. Booth, Lincoln's assassin, he thought it would he thought that it would. Uh, save the South, even though the Civil War had basically ended. He thought that by killing Lincoln, the South would rise again. McKinley's assassin, he was an anarchist, and he thought that would uh, throw the United States into anarchy and destroy the government. Uh, Garfield's assassin uh, felt that Garfield was not uh, a member of the proper wing of the Republican Party, and by killing him, Chester Arthur would become president who was part of his you know his preferred Republican wing. So, and and Oswald was was obsessed with Cuba, and I think that was part of it. He thought, if I can get rid of Kennedy, you know, maybe Cuba can have a chance to to thrive and be free.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Which, of course, wasn't Kennedy's fault. It was Castro who was the dictator. But I think if he had a motive, that was probably it. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Who knows? Who
2: knows?
0: Well, what, well, let's talk about some of these conspiracy theories, mm-hmm. though.
1: Well, first we have the magic bullet theory. Uh, the magic bullet is the second bullet that was said to have gone through JFK's neck into the right side of Governor Connolly's back, and then his wrist, and then ended in his left thigh. Uh, many believe that the second bullet's t- trajectory from the sixth floor window is impossible, because that is going through a lot of things.
0: It's going through a lot of soft tissue. Yeah. It's not like it true. hit a tank. <laughs> It <laughs> went. It went through a man's throat, a man's back, and lung. It nicked a rib. Mm-hmm. It nicked Conley's rib, and then uh, went through his wrist, and ended up with just enough velocity to just barely break the skin of his thigh. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we we always hear about the magic bullet theory. I'm reminded of the Seinfeld show, the the magic Loogie, <laughs> where uh, they talk about. Uh, Keith Hernandez spitting and they talk, they compare it to the magic bullet. It made two or three right turns. And yeah, that's not true. Right. The The bullet pretty much was straight and still, and it went through Kennedy's neck through the, uh, and through Conley's back and then it hit a rib and that deflected it just, just a little bit, uh, into his wrist. Uh, and Connolly was sitting below Kennedy. It was he was in the jump seat of the presidential limousine. Kennedy was in the back seat, but then they laid down a, a little jump seat behind the front seat, so he was actually lower. And and it was a it was a clear, it was a straight line to them. And I think that's been proven.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and the other thing about the magic bullet theory, um, it's been referred to as the pristine bullet,
2: mm-hmm.
0: as if. There's it absolutely no damage, yeah. and uh, there are pictures. I think you may post one later. Yes, I will of the of the actual bullet, and it mm-hmm. was damaged. the The one side of it had been flattened,
2: mm-hmm.
0: um, so it's not a it's not a perfectly intact bullet. Just my th- my feeling. But but yes,
1: <laughs> if the bullet did not go through all that, if the same bullet did not go through all those places, there had to have been two shooters
0: that's true but then where was the second shooter it had he had to also be from above I mean the trajectory of the bullet was down and it was from the direction of the book depository so did that mean there was someone up there with Oswald no eyewitness reported seeing two people in that sixth floor window five people said we did see one person up there
1: Hmm. so it was probably just the one
0: I think it was (laughs) I think it was
1: well, Governor Connolly said in the 1966 interview with Life magazine that one bullet caused JFK's first wound and a completely separate bullet struck him.
0: He did say that, and he said both he and his wife would believe till their dying day that they were struck by different bullets. But in 1992, Connolly was interviewed by Gerald Posner, and uh, Posner had acoustic evidence from uh, from Dealey Plaza where the uh, where the assassination occurred. Uh, there were police microphones that were open, and uh, there was clear acoustic evidence that was uh, it had been analyzed by 1990s technology instead of 1960s technology. Uh, they played that for Governor Conley, and in 1992 he said, "Well, you know." After hearing this, it's entirely possible we were hit by the same bullet. Mm. So, when in 1960, 62, this was a man who had been shot, and uh, that was his opinion. But 30 years later, after hearing additional evidence, he said, No, oh, maybe I, maybe not.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. I didn't know that part. Yes. How about James Tague, a spectator? said that a stray bullet hit the sidewalk near him and a fragment of that bullet struck him in this in the cheek he claims this stray bullet was the second shot and not the first shot and either tag misinterpreted or there were more than 3 bullets fired even though only 3 cartridges were found by Oswald's window in the depository building which would mean more than one mm-hmm. shooter
0: in his book Posner analyzed the um, the curb uh, where a possible bullet struck and that bullet then would have would have thrown up some concrete uh, in into Mr. Teague the the concrete was analyzed and it was only lead it was not copper and these were copper covered bullets uh, in the recreation of the assassination uh, Posner is of the opinion that the first shot actually hit a tree branch that's in the window. You can see that in the window, and that first bullet hit the tree branch that destroyed the copper jacket, and the bullet had, had separated into fragments. And it was some of those fragments that hit the curb, and that threw the through the uh, concrete up into Teague. So mm-hmm. Posner's position, uh, yeah, he did misinterpret. It was the first shot
2: mm-hmm.
0: that that hit the concrete curb and injured him and it was the second shot that went through um, both President Kennedy and Governor Conley and then the third shot of course was the kill shot Mm
1: -hmm. yeah sometimes I wonder if hearing all these things about a conspiracy kind of helped form these ideas that maybe like from these victims themselves that maybe Mm -hmm. it was a conspiracy Mm -hmm. so I wonder that too
0: well, I th- and, and I think just human nature. I yes. mean, this was, a, this was a very traumatic time. And I think people were hearing noises. They realized something had happened. And I think you know, eyewitnesses are not always that reliable. Now, I know I said there were five eyewitnesses that saw Oswald in the window. Maybe they're not reliable. Maybe there is a conspiracy. But I think we, again, have to try to go back to that day. Mm-hmm. Uh, gunshots are being fired. People are screaming. Uh, people are, are ducking. Uh, Jackie Kennedy is trying to crawl out the back of a car it was a very confusing time Mm
1: -hmm. true tell us about the Zapruder film before I get into this next part we haven't talked about that yet
0: well Abraham Zapruder had a business downtown and he had a a, uh, camera a little movie camera and he decided he was going to go get pictures of the president so he found a nice place to stand in Dealey Plaza kind of on a pedestal and uh, he had his camera running as the president was coming down the street the the motorcade passed behind a sign mm-hmm. and so for and i don't have the numbers of the frames but for, for a short period the car was not visible the last image they had of of the president was he was waving to the crowd then the, the car disappears behind the sign, and when it reappears, the president is grabbing at his throat, and Governor Conley is reacting to something. His mm-hmm. his hat is flopping up. His face is very red. His cheeks are puffed out. Mm-hmm. And so, obviously, sometime while that vehicle was hidden, Kennedy and Conley had, had both been hit. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, the, the car continued as a Bruder... Uh, Held his camera on it, and he got that that just awful, gruesome shot of the president's head exploding. Um, and you know, people have analyzed as a Bruder film. I know some people said, "Well, if you analyze the film and the speed of the film, there wasn't a, enough time for there to be shots." Well, again, I think a lot of people they say they they start their analysis at the moment the car appeared mm-hmm. from behind the sign. But if the shots were fired immediately as the car passed from view. There would have been mm-hmm. enough time, mm-hmm. and I, I think recreations have indicated there was plenty of time for for an experienced marksman to fire three shots. And clearly, that's how many were fired. At least from the book depository, that's where we found the the, the spent print. cartridges. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's the Zabruder film mm-hmm. story.
1: Uh, well, supposedly there is some other footage.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Everyone knows about the Zabruder film but apparently there's other footage that was uh, shooting at a different angle showing the infamous Grassy Knoll. Mm -hmm. And some people saw puffs of gun smoke in the footage or a second shooter on the Grassy Knoll, and the footage has apparently gone missing.
0: Yes, conveniently.
1: Conveniently. (laughs) Hmm. Now, oh, go ahead.
0: I was was just going to say that President Trump actually has a theory on who one of the shooters on the grassy knoll was that he voiced during the Republican debates in 2016. Mm -hmm. Did you remember that? I do not. Senator Ted Cruz's father evidently was one of the shooters on the grassy knoll, according to President Trump.
2: Hmm.
1: (laughs) Interesting. Yes. Okay.
0: (laughs) I'm just saying. (laughs) That's
1: what he said.
0: You know, and and the grassy the grassy knoll was was a uh, you know kind of a there's a little hill with grass with grass obviously <laughs> it's a and, knoll <laughs> and there's a fence behind the hill and the there that has been a constant in conspiracy theories that there were people behind that fence that were shooting but again the the evidence of forensic evidence is clear Kennedy was not hit from the front he was hit from the back
2: mm-hmm.
0: uh, there's no evidence that he was ever hit. Uh, from the front Um, and people saw people running down the down the hill down the knoll over the fence they were hobos in fact one of them supposedly was woody harrelson's father he was supposedly involved in it um they're they're just i think the grassy knoll theory really originated by by some people who heard gunshots Mm -hmm. and they they thought and it's an echo chamber. Right. I, I I know you've been there with me, you mm-hmm. may not remember it, but it's an echo chamber, buildings all around, and people heard heard gunshots. Uh, there's a picture in, in this Posner book of the Secret Service agents are immediately turning around looking at the book depository, but other people are pointing to the grassy knoll. Some people are pointing the other way. Mm-hmm. So you have a lot of people who are panicking, trying to, they've heard something and they're trying to think where it came from. So right. I don't necessarily think everyone's lying, but it was just a it was a it was a very was chaos. Yeah, it was a very chaotic time. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh.
1: Well that missing footage comes up with the House Select Committee on Assassinations. Uh-huh. That was formed in nineteen seventy six to conduct an investigation into the assassinations of JFK and Martin Luther King Junior. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And it was formed when it was confirmed that the CIA had purposely withheld information from the Warren Commission, and some of that information that was withheld included a plot to assassinate Fidel Castro. You look like I'm saying a bunch of baloney.
0: No, that's oh, absolutely okay. true. That's okay. absolutely <laughs> true. Uh, they, the CIA came up with some weird, weird plots
2: mm-hmm.
0: in the in the 1960s to get rid of Castro. Bobby Kennedy, who was the attorney general, reached out to the mafia and tried to get them to take down poisoned cigars because Castro loved cigars. He was wanting them to, to infiltrate Cuba with poisoned cigars and let Castro smoke them and die.
2: Oh my. So, no,
0: they were clearly trying to assassinate Castro. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and that, that gave rise to a number of theories. Of Castro, where the Russians found out about it, and they decided to take revenge. You want to kill our guy, we'll kill your guy. Mm-hmm. so no that's absolutely true okay um now they did um one thing that the select committee did was try to analyze uh recordings from a police motorcycle
2: mm-hmm.
0: that uh, they said indicated that there were not three shots that there were at least four mm. which would have meant they couldn't have all come from the book depository mm-hmm. uh, posner uh, retained other experts who has listened to those tapes, talked to the police officer uh, whose motorcycle it was, who can, who swears it wasn't his mic, his mic wasn't open, uh, and so Posner doesn't believe that this evidence is 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 accurate. Mm-hmm. But again, who knows?
1: Who knows? I mean, a quote from the committee is: "The committee believes, on the basis of evidence available to it." That President John F. Kennedy was probably assassinated as a result of a conspiracy. The committee is unable to identify the other gunman or the extent of the conspiracy. So there are like a lot of us who think there's a conspiracy, but we can't back it up.
0: That's right. That's right. Right. No evidence. So it's not very reliable. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh.
1: All right. Let's get into these crazy ones. Okay. Conspiracy theories. Yes. The tinfoil hat conspiracies, (laughs) as I have labeled on our notes. Number one, Lyndon B. Johnson had John F. Kennedy assassinated for political gain. I mean, it's pretty natural assumption, I would say
0: yes he 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 gained something out of this he assassination. Did. He became president and
1: he was very bored as vP
0: and the Kennedys did not treat him well.
1: Mm-hmm. They
0: had a nickname for him, in fact, what was behind that? his back.
1: Hmm.
0: Uncle Cornpone.
1: What does that mean? <laughs>
0: Is it bad? Well, a corn just like a, a country bumpkin. Oh. You know, we've talked about how much class the Kennedys had. Right. They thought Lyndon Johnson was just a just a, a hick. They did not like him at all.
2: Hmm. So, so there
0: there clearly was bad blood between the two. Yes. Was
1: he chosen because of his connection to Texas or why was he chosen as VP? It's
0: the only reason they chose him. Oh, okay. They knew to win the election they had to carry Texas. He was a Texas senator. He was the majority leader of the United States Senate. He was the most powerful Democrat in the country in 1960. He ran for president. Mm -hmm. He finished second to Kennedy at the Democratic Convention. Um, And and, uh, JFK said, if we're going to win this election, we have to carry Texas. And there's one person that can help us carry Texas, and that's Lyndon Johnson, uh, Kennedy's brother, Bobby was, was apoplectic at that. He did not want Johnson on the ticket. He hated him. Uh, Lyndon hated Bobby, but, uh, he was chosen.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And, and this idea that, that Kennedy was going to drop Johnson in, in 64, is just, it's ludicrous. Oh, so
2: that's uh,
0: not true? No, he, he, I mean, Kennedy knew... He had to win Texas right. to win re-election, and to drop Lyndon Johnson from the ticket would cost him the state of Texas. So
2: mm-hmm.
0: he was not going to drop him, and Johnson was as, as unhappy as he was as vice president. I think he knew, if I want to ever get elected president, I can't split the Democratic Party, so he's going to play nice. Mm-hmm. I mean, he would have run for president in 68 if, if, if Kennedy had lived. Uh, mm-hmm. Probably would have run against Bobby. But... Uh, so, I just i i, I, I can't imagine him um, being dropped from the ticket. Now,
2: mm-hmm.
0: did he uh, have something to do with the assassination? Again, who knows? Lyndon Johnson was a was a very vicious uh, and and uh, ambitious person.
1: Does he remind you of Frank Underwood at all?
0: He absolutely does.
1: I'm, I'm as we're talking, I'm thinking House of Cards.
0: Kevin He's, Spacey. He absolutely reminds me of
1: Southern. Uh, wants hates thinks VP is stupid. Wants to be president. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. He absolutely reminds me of Frank Underwood. Um, um.
1: I mean, I I feel like some of this, like some of the evidence I found, or quote unquote evidence I found, like one thing I saw was, uh, Lyndon Lyndon B Johnson's right hand man was warned. By uh, Byron Skelton, who was an acclaimed Texas lawyer, that the Texas political climate was unsafe and told this man that he feared for the president's safety. I feel like that was kind of maybe like he was just withholding that info like, "Eh."
0: JFK knew exactly what Texas was like. When he arrived in Dallas on November 22nd, there was a full-page ad in the Dallas Morning News of his picture, of Kennedy's picture, with the words, wanted for treason. Oh. Uh, a few months earlier, Adlai Stevenson, who was the U.N. ambassador, went to Dallas, mm-hmm. uh, where he was, uh, he was attacked and people were spitting on him and hitting him with signs. In fact, in Dallas, somebody went after Lyndon Johnson and Lady Bird. Native Texans throwing signs at him. Uh, one of uh, one of Kennedy's um, uh, top aides. It was either Dave Powers or um, who was the other one? Jack. Uh, well, I
2: don't know.
0: One of his two top aides. Uh, told him on the way down. He said, "Jack, we're going to Nut Country tomorrow." <laughs> I mean, so Kennedy knew. I mean, th- this was yeah. no secret that that yeah. Dallas was a hotbed of right wing politics. The John Birch Society was there, uh, and I think that's why the Kennedys were just so shocked at the reception he got. I mean, people were going crazy, cheering, and uh, but no, I mean, Kennedy knew exactly that this was mm-hmm. this was crazy town right. where he was going.
1: One other thing I found that doesn't hold a lot of credibility was Lyndon B. Johnson's alleged mistress, Madeline Brown, claims to have gone to a party with LBJ, Nixon, and Hoover the night before the assassination. Now, okay, all that, sure, maybe that happened. This next part likely didn't happen. Uh, She said that LBJ whispered in her ear, "...after tomorrow, those Kennedys will never embarrass me again." That's no threat, that's a promise. However, his movements were very closely monitored on this trip to Dallas, so this likely would have been seen by others. She was the one who said this.
0: The night before the assassination, Richard Nixon was in Dallas. Mm -hmm. J. Edgar Hoover was in Washington, D.C. He was Mm -hmm. the head of the FBI, and LBJ was at uh, his ranch outside of Austin, so there was no party where the three of these people got together.
2: Well,
1: she was wanting to make that money and give some, you know, give now,
0: some Now, she gas. probably, again, I, but I think she probably was his mistress. Oh, no, I
1: think that. <laughs> yes. I just mean about uh-huh. the party and the whispering. yeah Yes. The, yes. Uh-huh. No, I, I, she was probably his mistress. Yes, for sure. All right. Next one. The Russians were behind it. Classic.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Mm -hmm. There was
1: tension between Russia and the U.S. because of the Cold War. Lee Harvey Oswald defected to the Soviet Union, and some argued that he was acting as a KGB agent when he assassinated Kennedy. He was also at the Russian embassy in Mexico City a few weeks before the assassination, but others argue Lee Harvey Oswald would not be a smart pick by the Russians to assassinate John F. Kennedy because of his ties to Russia, and he would have been too obvious.
0: I think that's right, and plus he was not KGB material. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Again, Oswald was just a... He's not a smart person, Mm -hmm. let's just put He thought he was. And he, he went to the Soviet Union. Now, he lived there. He declared himself a communist and a Marxist, but he was there two years and decided... This isn't for me. He hated the Soviet Union. That's when he latched onto Cuba. So the the idea that he was a KGB agent, I think, again, is ludicrous. And and why would, why would the Russians assassinate John Kennedy, knowing Lyndon Johnson was going to be president?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, Kennedy and Johnson were both cold warriors. Uh, I don't think they could expect to get a better deal from from Johnson than they could get from Kennedy.
1: Right. True. All right. Next, we have the mob assassinated Kennedy. So three separate mob groups have claimed that they were each responsible for the assassination. These mob groups are Chicago, Miami, and New Orleans. Uh, Robert Kennedy made moves against organized crime as the attorney general, which possibly made the mobs upset.
0: If I were to pick a conspiracy theory that I did believe in, it would be this
2: one.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, because I, I think clearly there were some tangential mob ties between the Kennedy family. Uh, JFK and Sam Giacana, who was uh, head of the Chicago mob, shared a mistress.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, there were rumors that Giacana and the Chicago mob uh, helped carry Illinois for Kennedy in the 1960s, and they expected favorable treatment and when they didn't get it uh, they just decided what to do what mobsters do we're going to hit the guy
2: mm-hmm.
0: I mean not because he was president and there was some CIA conspiracy and they were hired to do it you kind of just thought you know, treat me like that
2: mm-hmm.
0: I did a favor for you, you're not doing any favors for me, you're done Yep. so if I were to believe anything it would be that one but again I just don't see evidence that anything was there I mean I don't there, there's no ties between Oswald and the mob that we can get and this whole idea that that Jack Ruby was was their hit man I mean Ruby was a he was not a monster. Mm-hmm. he was ran some strip joints and maybe ran a little loan shark operation but uh,
1: right not the same level
0: but yeah if I if any of them have credibility to me it's this one
1: mm-hmm.
0: I just don't know how they pulled it off
1: and for those who don't know, Giancana was the head of the Chicago mob uh-huh. at this time. Right. All right. Lastly is perhaps the most popular.
0: Uh-huh.
1: The CIA did it. Inside
0: mm. job. Yeah.
1: Um, Alan Dulles. Former, Dulles. Dulles. That's mm. right. Former head of the CIA was on the Warren Commission. Now remember that the CIA withheld information from that commission. Uh-huh. The CIA now refers to this as a benign cover-up. Uh-huh. Possible motives. What are they? JFK found out that the CIA had a plot to assassinate Fidel Castro. The CIA then felt threatened that Kennedy might have a different agenda, agenda or would disband them, so they plotted to assassinate him. Huh. <laughs> you don't like that one?
0: Again, where's <laughs> the evidence?
1: Right. There is none. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Next, forensic historian Patrick Nolan theorizes that four high-level agents not only planned the shooting, but three of them fired four shots during the assassination. Uh, The CIA maybe chose Oswald to be the assassin because he was a known communist and Russian sympathizer, so they knew that all the blame would be put on him. Mm -hmm. And then... After the failed Bay of Pigs invasion, the CIA underwent personnel changes at the hand of Kennedy, which may have upset them. Uh, the, Kennedy refused to offer additional U.S. military support during the Bay of Pigs, despite the CIA offering an umbrella <laughs> of air protection. Hmm, I wonder why I emphasized umbrella. <laughs> All right. This is my favorite one that I know isn't true, but I wish it was true. Yes. Mainly because I just finished season two of the Umbrella Academy. Yes. Season two focuses on JFK assassination. So y'all need to watch it. If you haven't, dad, get on that. Okay. All right. Anyway, we can discuss this in a Facebook group if anyone else has watched this. Okay. Umbrella Man. The Umbrella Man. CIA operative that Lee Harvey Oswald might have worked with on the assassination in the Zapruder film and other photos a lone man with an open umbrella above his head is seen it wasn't raining and no one else had an umbrella so what was he doing
0: I guess the fact that it had rained all morning
1: but no one else had one. I'm
0: just saying that's that's one possible explanation.
1: <laughs> but
0: I think there's a better one.
1: Yeah. Keep I going. know what Go you ahead. think. I'm sorry. I'm finding my place. Um, Kennedy is struck by the first bullet at the moment his car passes the umbrella man. Kind of like maybe he was a signal.
0: My first thought about that is if you have a sniper... With a scope in a 6th floor window, why do you need a signal from someone on the ground on when to fire your shot who has no idea what you're seeing through your through your scope?
1: For the shooter on the grassy knoll?
0: But again, if you have a shooter on the grassy knoll with a rifle with a high-powered scope, why do you need a signal? Why don't you just wait True. till you have a shot?
1: True. Well, anyway... The Umbrella Man was then said to lift his umbrella a foot or so, and some believe this was the signal for the second gunman. Yeah. Or, this is where it gets really weird, mm-hmm. the umbrella was a spy-like weapon that could <laughs> shoot darts, explaining the hole in Kennedy's neck, which could also be explained by a bullet.
0: It's what you be explained by a bullet, yes.
1: <laughs> and I know this sounds wild, but it existed because Charles, oh God, Sen which was the Department of of Defense weapons developer, testified that an umbrella weapon like that existed uh, because he designed it. And then he explained how it works. I didn't write it down though. So.
0: So he raised the umbrella.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: He didn't point the umbrella at the president. But he raised the umbrella, and so somehow the dart went up in the air, did a U-turn, did a 45-degree turn, and struck the president in the neck.
1: Right. It was a magic dart. like Magic, magic dart, bullet. yes. <laughs> so,
0: so we not now we not only have the magic bullet, we have no, the magic, magic umbrella dart. dart. Yes, okay.
1: But some people also say that maybe darts went out as he opened the umbrella.
0: I see. Now, but wasn't there someone who actually admitted that he was the Umbrella Man?
1: Yes. And
0: what's that story, pray tell? So,
1: Louis Stephen Witt was the Umbrella Man, claimed to be the Umbrella Man. And he brought the umbrella with him to testify. Now, how we know that that was the exact same black umbrella? Mm, We don't. We don't. Why would he bring a weapon when he could just bring up whatever? Uh, he claimed the umbrella was a symbol of protest to John F. Kennedy's father. Yes. Now, I didn't write down why, and I forgot. Do you know why? I know exactly why. Will you please explain?
0: John F. Kennedy's father, Joe Kennedy Sr., was the ambassador to Great Britain before World War II. Mm -hmm. He uh, He was a pacifist. He did not want the United States intervening in the war. He wanted to up to, uh, to, uh, pacify Hitler, not to, not to intervene in the war. And, uh, he was very good friends with the British prime minister, Neville Chamberlain Mm -hmm. and Neville Chamberlain, when he went to meet with Hitler and got off the plane to proclaim that he had negotiated with Herr Hitler and that he had achieved peace in our time was carrying an umbrella. And so the umbrella, since that time, has been a symbol of appeasement.
1: And so, it's common.
0: Yes, it is common. So, so if you want to accuse a politician of appeasing the Nazis or the Russians or today the Chinese or the Iranians, in other words, not taking a stand against them, giving them what they want, you would carry an umbrella.
1: Or if you want bad luck, you'll open an umbrella indoors. Yes. yes. So, <laughs> but this was outdoors.
0: So, but then I guess, of course, that could just mean Witt is a CIA puppet who's mm-hmm. out there. Yes. Mm-hmm.
1: Yes. You may never know.
0: Well, a lot of conspiracy theories, uh, and, you know, there are even <laughs> crazier ones that, that just keep popping up. Yeah. Uh,
1: As you said, we are in the internet age.
0: Yes. The, the John Conley shot Kennedy and then shot himself in the back not sure how (laughs) that jackie kennedy shot her husband and was trying to and was trying to crawl out the back of the of the of the uh car to escape that's why she was really back there so but i'm i i just keep coming back to maybe the simplest explanation is the best
1: i think one
0: man in the sixth floor with a rifle and a scope on it uh took out the leader of the free world and i i it's nor- I don't think people want to believe that. They want to say, well, if, he, if Kennedy died, he had to die for some greater cause.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Maybe not. But who knows?
1: I think you've pulled me to your side. Okay. And I would sound like a hypocrite because I've already said on this podcast, <laughs> the simplest answer is usually the answer. Well, next week we are going to talk about the death of Marilyn Monroe Ooh. because she is also connected to the Kennedys. And then the week after that, we will discuss Chappaquiddick. Which was Joe Kennedy Jr. Nope,
0: which Kennedy? Teddy Kennedy. Teddy. The, the youngest Telly. brother. The youngest brother. Yes. Yes. Now, I think what you should do is you should go online and find the video of Marilyn Monroe singing Happy Birthday to President Kennedy. Aww. And then you should you should uh, sing it on the podcast next week as if, you know, in, in a Marilyn Monroe voice.
1: Oh, I'll try. Okay. I don't know what she sounds like. I'll try that. All right. Uh, Thank you all for listening. Thank you. And we will see you next week. Bye-bye. This has been Cocktails of Crime and Fashion. Join our VIP Facebook group to discuss cocktails, crime, and fashion, and to watch exclusive videos and content. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Cocktails of Crime and Fashion. We also have merch. There is a link in the episode notes. Cocktails of Crime and Fashion was written and produced by Mike Norland and Macy norland burkett Our editor is Kate Mays. Thank you to Alex Joachim for composing our theme music and to Kaylee
2: Bitter for designing our cover art.